right, here we go. Here we go. I'm going to see if I can talk over the cars. Tonight, this is all about gifts. And I've been really enjoying studying the topic that I was given about women who follow Christ anciently and today. And I wasn't sure. I always look for what is the thing inside the message that sparks me personally. There's always something that you can find, and I just look for that so that I can share what sparks me. And I don't know about you, but whenever I was in a class in Young Women's or in Relief Society, and by the way, who's my timer? Me. There, you got, you got it? Okay. Because my watch broke, so. Whenever I'd be in a meeting, Relief Society or Young Women's, that would talk about gifts, I remember feeling like everyone else in the room, a little stumped about, well, I don't know what my gift is, or I don't know, you know, we're all supposed to have some, and we're supposed to develop them, and we're supposed to use them for the kingdom, and quite often there's just blank faces, you know? Have any of you felt that way when we talk about gifts, and what gifts you've been given to help your families, to help yourself, to help the community, whatever those might be? Or maybe we just look at what we have to offer, and it just looks so insignificant. One thing that I really enjoyed about what I was studying is I learned that in the New Testament when Christ organized his church, he also organized the women. Sister Eliza R. Snow, the second Relief Society general president, reiterated the teaching that although the name may be of modern date, the institution is of ancient origin. We were told by our martyred prophet that the same organization existed in the church anciently that the ancient church had a Relief Society, by what name we don't know, but that the women were organized to serve and to share their gifts. And what I find is interesting, and Ruth has a paper for everybody. I'm gonna go ahead and pass this out. And also, if you don't have something to write with, there's markers. And all you're gonna be doing is putting a dot where I tell you to. But what happened in the New Testament is that there were women mentioned does anybody know how many women are mentioned in the New Testament? It's a finite book. There's not a lot there. There's not even a lot about our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in the New Testament, but there's enough. And so there are also things about women in the New Testament. Take a guess. How many women are mentioned in the New Testament? Five. Five? Anybody else? Less than ten. Less than ten? Seven. There are actually twelve. Twelve women mentioned in the New Testament, and one of those women is a group of women. Uh, they, he, they're categorizing the older wise women, but there are twelve. And each one of those women were named for a certain service they provided or for a certain characteristic that they had. And I don't think that that's by accident. I believe that those women were mentioned as uh, examples of what qualities mattered to the Lord and what qualities mattered to the apostles to share those stories for our benefit today. Now what I'd like you to do is take a look at this list and uh, just take a few minutes and I'd like you to put a dot by the ones that you can identify with even just a little bit. Even just a little bit. If you've ever had an experience that matches that. It doesn't have to be something you always feel but if you've had experience with it, put a dot next to it.
while you're finishing up, I want to just share. We lived in California. I had three children. Prior to getting married, I was overachiever, trying to get high marks, trying to be perfect. I had perfectionism. If any of you can identify with that, it's almost paralysis, fearing doing anything wrong. But I'd gotten really disciplined at reading my scriptures every day and having my prayers regularly and serving others and studying and Sabbath, 24 hours fasting, you know, to the minute. And I was just really, really well structured in my obedience because that was super important to me. And then I got married and started having kids. And I remember by the time I had child number three and I had my checklist because I knew that if I could just follow my checklist, I would feel like I was doing good. I would feel like I was progressing. I would feel like I was being obedient to the commandments. And that is where I gained a lot of my self-esteem. But I found out that I would have this checklist and I would get maybe two of the 20 things done that day. And this was a shock to my system. It was a shock to my self-esteem. I remember just feeling so broken and so sad that I was failing so badly. But you can't schedule when the kids are gonna throw up. So many things were no longer within my control. And there was one day that was particularly hard and I don't know what it was that put me over the edge. But I used to, I used to pray for help that I could get all these things done. And that day, I just remember falling to my knees and saying, I am so sorry that this is all that I am because I had realized that I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. It was beyond my mortal capability to do everything I had set out to do, even just that one day. And it was a new realization that there was a limit to my capabilities. And I was so exhausted, so depleted, so discouraged. But when I fell on my knees and I wasn't even saying I'm sorry to repent, it was just like, I am so sorry I've failed. And it was in that moment, and basically I also said, all I can promise is that I will pray every day for two weeks. Beyond that, I can't make any promises because it's so much out of my control anymore. So when I said, I'm so sorry that this is all that I am, for the first time in a couple years, I felt this unexpected outpouring of love and a big giant smile. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I have his approval in my failure. It was as if he was saying, you got it. Now you understand your dependence on me. Now I can work with you. <laughs> and my checklists changed. I stopped making promises to myself of what I would get done. I just tried to let go and be more kind to myself. And so what I learned through that experience was that if I even rolled out of bed that day, it was God's power. It wasn't me. If I managed to get breakfast, God did it through me because it wasn't me. I learned that I was nothing. I was nothing without his power. And so when we study the gifts that God gives us as women who follow Christ, he has given us gifts, abilities that we take for granted and we think it's us, but it's not us, it's him through us. And when we feel depleted, when we feel incapable, 
but we managed to get our kids out the door, but we managed to pull ourselves to church, but we managed to do our calling, even feebly. It's his power doing it through us. And the sooner we recognize that, the sooner we can lean on that power and not be exhausted as much. So I want you to look at this list. How many of you were surprised at how many you were able to check? These are not just a random list of qualities. These are the scriptural and revealed qualities that God wants us to know are gifts from Him. The first section right here on the top left are the qualities that those 12 women in the New Testament were named for. These are the reasons that those women were named is because these are the things that they did. And it's simple. But again, it's God doing those things through those women. They participated in his work. The second group beneath it, it's also kind of a short list. Those were the qualities revealed in the Doctrine and Covenants 1831 in the restored church that the Lord wanted us to know were gifts from him for the women to do his work through them. And this list on the right, this is a prophecy from President Spencer W. Kimball in 1979. Russell M. Nelson was referring to the prophecy that in 1979, President Spencer W. Kimball made a profound prophecy about the impact that covenant-keeping women would have on the future of the Lord's Church. And he said, My dear sisters, you who are our vital associates during this winding up scene before the Savior returns, the day that President Kimball foresaw is today. You are the women he foresaw. And these are the qualities that he saw in you, that God was going to give you in these winding up scenes before the Lord's return. And I just think it's beautiful and remarkable that the qualities are named, they're identified, and they are revealed to us so that we understand the gifts that God has given us to help in his final days before the Savior returns. It has been the restoration didn't just restore what was already there in the New Testament, but an outpouring of even more to help. And I think it's just inspiring and beautiful and encouraging to realize if you have experienced any of these things, then you've experienced the gift of God to do his work. And it's not just the virtues and it's not just the qualities that we're given to do his work. But gifts also show up in other ways. Gifts show up in our challenges. If you remember when David A. Bednar shared the story about his friend who bought a new truck and wanted to justify to his wife for purchasing it and show that it was going to be useful, he went up into the woods to gather firewood to bring home. But there was already snow in the mountains where he intended to go, and when he got up there, he found himself stuck. And he tried to get out of the snow, he tried to get out of the snow, couldn't get out, and it was getting dark. And he thought, well, there's nothing I can do, at least I can gather wood. So he filled the truck with the wood, and with that added weight, he tried again, and that traction, that weight, gave him the traction he needed to get out. And so it's our load. David Bednar says, I pray for the assistance of the Holy Ghost as I emphasize vital lessons that can be learned from this story about my friend, the truck, and the wood. It was the load.
It was the load of wood that provided the traction necessary for him to get out of the snow, to get back on the road, and to move forward. It was the load that enabled him to return to his family and his home. And we are taught in the Old Testament, I can't tell you where, but that to give thanks in all things. And in the Doctrine and Covenants, we're reminded because all things can work together for our good. All things, all these things, as Joseph was told, shall give the experience and shall be for thy good. And so we have gifts of being able to get out of bed. We have the gift of being able to serve, to do the things that we have to do every day for our family. I don't know if it was because I was going to get to speak on this tonight, but yesterday we had just gotten home from a wedding in Utah, and we roll into town, we unload, the place is a mess, we fall into bed. The next day I'm trying to catch up on everything that was waiting for me. Spent all day long just trying to catch up. It was a very busy day, didn't get anything unpacked. The place smells funny and I don't know why. But as I finally just ran out of steam, took a nap around six o'clock or so, I don't know what time it was. I wake up, I had gotten dinner on. I wake up, I, uh, I can't remember what all I did, honestly. It's escaped me, but I do remember that about 10.30, I realized we were out of groceries and the kids would need food for lunches in the morning. And so I thought, all right, I'm going to the grocery store. So I went to the grocery store, I'm there at about 11. I get home around 11.30 or 12, ready to hit the sack. And my teenager is up and just wanting to talk, wanting to shoot the breeze. And you don't miss that opportunity. So we're up until one. And all the while I'm thinking this is a gift, that I even have the power to do this and that I get to serve and that I get to listen. It's a gift from God and it was a joy to participate in that. And just as I'm going to bed, I get a text from a friend who said, I am just really struggling with something. If you have a minute to talk sometime, let me know. And I was up anyway, so I texted her back, I'm up, what's going on? And we got on the phones and we were on the phone together till three. And then I hit the sack and I get up and I'm on my way and just a new day starts again. But I'm looking at everything that I did, and it used to be, and it probably will be again, I would look at that as thinking, oh my gosh, I'm just so busy, I'm just, life is hard, there's never a break, I need a breather, I need a date night, you know, <laughs> whatever it is, but this lesson made me look at it differently. I was able to find joy in those moments, knowing that those small things were making a contribution to the kingdom. Every one little bit of those things were making a contribution and it was work that the Lord needed doing and I was given the power to do it and it was I was grateful for that so we already have all we need to do our part we are invited to seek the best gifts if there's anything on that list that you wish you could do better you're invited to seek that but already look at how much you're already doing you're doing better than you know we're all doing better than we think and we don't have time, but I thought it'd be fun to integrate some kind of a game about two truths and a lie and talk about what Satan's lies are to us. What's the message that he tries to bring us down so that our power will diminish when we are called upon to do those things? Be discerning. Seek that gift to discern spirits so that you know that voice when it comes and you can say, no, I'm doing the Lord's work, even in these little mundane things. So it's my testimony that God is mindful of each one of us and that we are given power to do things that we don't think are even significant, but they are. Every small thing is significant in the eternal scheme of things. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.